0: Most of us remember it from our childhood, but let me read you the definition from the website called streetplay.com. It's the definition of do-over. Sometimes passions were too strong, convictions too deep, perspectives too contrasting to reach an agreement on a call. Still, it was understood that unless the opposing team was being absolutely unreasonable or cheating, preserving friendships and, even more importantly, continuing the game took precedence over a specific play. uh, After the proper amount of heated discussion had taken place, one of the players would finally extend the proverbial olive branch by offering his opponent a do-over As in, you can do it again. The do-over was one of childhood's most powerful rights, for it exerted our dominion over the laws of space and time. The clock was rolled back, the game was restored to its exact status as before the contested play, and play was resumed thereby ensuring that the universal forces of fair play were being righteously maintained. The website ends this way. Yes, it is with fond memories that we recall the do-over, a divine method of resolution, and contemplate the untold blessings it could bring if it were somehow extended into our contemporary lives. What if the do-over could be extended into contemporary lives? What if you could choose one area to do over in your life? What area would you choose? What would it be? I asked my Facebook friends, and I got some responses. I also found some on a different Internet site, but let me share a few. Some were funny. I would have bought Amazon stock when it was $1. Another said, I would have to do over my entire middle school wardrobe. Yeah, me too, probably. Uh, I would take a do-over on the decision to eat a burrito before an international flight. Yeah. My sister said this. I'd rethink that most important life-altering decision, the one that affects every other decision. You know what I mean, whether or not to cut my bangs. (laughs) Others were pretty serious. One wanted a do-over on the entire decade from 1999 to 2009. One said, I wish it hadn't taken me until my late 30s to start stepping out of my comfort zone and trying new things. I worried too much about what others would think or say when I was in my 20s. Someone else said I would have had two kids instead of one. I would have spent a year in Europe like we planned. I would have attended church regularly sooner. Some mentioned do overs that were pretty sad. I would have left my marriage five years sooner. I would not have had that abortion. I would have made different choices sexually. I would have fought back. I would have told someone. Some of those just make me hurt for the people that wrote them. But what would your answer be? If you could do anything over again, what would it be? Maybe you wouldn't say those words again so you wouldn't have to see that hurt in their eyes. Maybe you would avoid the experimenting that has turned into a habit that's really hard for you to break right now. Maybe you would push away that person who has been a negative influence in your life. Maybe you would hold really, really tight that person that you never got to say goodbye to. Maybe you would play with your kids more. Maybe you would vote for someone different. Maybe you would eat different foods or take a different job. Don't you want a do-over? Don't you want a do-over? Aren't there areas of your life that you would do differently if you had another chance? For the past few weeks, we have been looking at this series called Cheating Death, and we have been seeing Jesus give some people the ultimate do-over. We've been looking at the times when Jesus raised people back to life after they had died. We, we have looked at the resurrections before the resurrection. I mean, we saw him raise two children to life, and last week we saw him raise his friend Lazarus to life. And today, being Easter, of course we're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection, about Jesus coming back to life after being dead and in the tomb for three days. But I also want to talk about some other people who were raised to life during that time. At the moment Jesus died, there was an earthquake. It also seems that the moment he rose from the dead, there was an earthquake, But at the moment when he died, there was an earthquake, and that's when Scripture says something amazing happens. It's a very odd part of Scripture and one that we don't talk about very much. But look at these verses from Matthew 27. The earth shook and rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were were raised to life they came out of the tombs after jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people now matthew is the only historian that mentions this event he says that there was an earthquake and uh, the rocks split and the tombs opened. and then apparently when jesus was raised from the dead Godly people walked out of their graves alive again and appeared to people. That's kind of the ultimate do-over, to come back to life after you've died, to live again, to get another chance. And the Bible really doesn't say much about what happened after that. I kind of wish it did. I kind of wish we knew more about these people that walked out of the tomb alive again and How that happened and how long they were around. But let's just imagine what they did when they got another chance. I mean, can you imagine it? I think when they walked out of that tomb alive, I think they pretty much ran home to see the people that they loved. Can you imagine that reunion? And if they were alive long enough after that, again, we really don't know. I imagine that they would live differently. I imagine that they would say, I love you more often. I imagine that they would care less about making money and more about relationships, more about enjoying life. I think that they would work to fix hurts and problems much faster. So why is this strange passage in the Bible? We don't have much information about it. Why why is it there? Well, I think it is there to show that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just for him. It was for us too. Jesus being raised to life means that we get a do-over Also, when those people came out of the grave, it not only said Jesus has this do-over, but it says that all of these people had that do-over too. So, when Jesus is raised to life, that means we get a do-over too. When Jesus rose from the dead and others walked out of the tomb and got a second chance at life, that was such a great day. And Easter means there's another chance for us too. There's another chance for you too. So in the time we have left, let me point out some facts about this do-over that Easter gives us. Just some things that I want to leave with you before we end this cheating death series. The first one is this. You get another chance through Jesus' power, not your own. You get another chance through Jesus' power, not your own. Look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. I mean that you have been saved by grace because you believed. You did not save yourselves... It was a gift from God. You are not saved by the things you have done, so there's nothing to boast about. Here are a few things that you need to understand if you want to experience a do-over. The first is this. You need a Savior that is not you. You need a Savior that is not you. The passage we just read emphasized that we are not saved by the things that we do. But we seem to keep trying to save ourselves. We seem to keep trying to save ourselves. I mean, some are trying to work really hard to do all the right things to fix their sin and to fix their problems. Some are trying to be religious enough to be okay with God. Now, here's the thing. If you could have saved yourself from sin and from your sinful habits, you would have done that a long time ago. If you could have done it yourself, you would have already have done it by now. A few years ago, I uh, went to a baseball practice while I was in Arizona um, with Stephen, my oldest grandson. And his little brother, Josh, went with us. And Josh watched his older brother pick up a bat, and he swang it several times. And Josh is watching this, and I could see it in his eyes. I could see in Josh's eyes that he wanted to do that. That he wanted to be like his big brother. And I watched as he saw a bat laying uh, not too far from him. And he ran over to it. And again, he's like three years old. And he tried to pick it up. But it was too heavy. It was too heavy. So I got up and I went over to help him. And when I headed over to help him, he screamed, I can do it myself. Well, I knew he couldn't but I let him try and eventually he let me help him hold the bat and swing it with him you know we are much older than Joshua was but we seem to have an attitude with God that often screams at him I can do it myself I can do it myself here's the truth you can't you can't do it yourself you aren't strong enough you need a savior who is not you but here's the second truth you need a savior that is not you who will save you from you you need a savior that is not you who will save you from you let's be honest the real problem isn't just that you aren't strong enough the real problem is you. You are the problem. You promised God and yourself that you would never commit that sin again. You promised him. And when you made that promise, you really meant it. You were serious about that. But then within a few hours or maybe a week, you do it again. Why? Why? Well, you talked yourself into it. You're pretty good at that, aren't you? I mean, you convinced yourself to break the promise that you made to yourself. See, not only do you struggle to keep your promises to God, you can't even keep your promises to yourself. And so you need a Savior that is not you who will save you from you. will save you from you and when we trust jesus when we believe in him and come to him in faith he saves us from ourselves he saves us from ourselves he gives us grace he gives us his undeserved mercy another chance to follow him fully and we can't brag about it when it happens in our lives because it happened with his power and his strength and not ours so don't miss that today if you need another chance it will come through jesus's power not through yours not through yours look at the next one you get another chance by dying and being raised to life you get another chance by dying and being raised to life we've talked in this series about people who were raised to life we talked about a widow's son and a religious leader's daughter, and Jesus' good friend, and now about many godly people who came out of their graves and appeared to many after Jesus rose from the dead. Being raised to life, have you thought about it this way? Being raised to life became a part of their history. It became a part of their story and their history for the rest of their lives, whether it was months or years before they died again. They could talk about the fact that they had experienced resurrection. I kind of imagine it was one of those stories that years later, their grandchildren rolled their eyes when they started telling it again. Yeah, yeah, grandma's telling the story about the time Jesus rose her back to life, you know. She's telling that story all again. But it became part of their history. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about those historical events. And of course, every Easter we talk about Jesus' resurrection, Jesus being raised to life, and really every weekend we talk about it because every weekend when we partake of communion, we remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so being raised to life is part of Jesus' history, too. And some today might react to us using the word history in reference to the resurrection. I mean, because some have really tried to deny it. They've tried to discredit the resurrection of Jesus. They want to believe that it never happened. But Charles Colson, who was convicted and sent to prison as a part of the Watergate scandal, and who later founded Prison Fellowship, had an interesting perspective on the resurrection as a historical fact. Let me quote what he said. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible, Coulson says. You know, I've often said that people who do not believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb alive again, that those people have more faith than I have. I think it takes more faith to disbelieve the resurrection than to believe it. It's simply not logical to study history and to think that Jesus did not walk out of the tomb alive again. The resurrection of Jesus, him being raised to life, is a part of his history, and it is a part of world history. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're here in this room, but I want to share something else with you. Not only is being raised to life part of the history of those people that we've talked about and part of Jesus' history and part of world history, I want you to know that being raised to life is part of my history. It's part of My personal history. I also have experienced resurrection. It happened many, many years ago. I realized that I was dead in my sin. I realized that I was living a life of sin and selfishness. And so I made the decision to die. I made the decision to die. I walked into the baptistry, and my dad baptized me. And when he put me under the water, I was saying to God, and I was declaring to my dad and to everybody else who was watching, as he put me under the water, I was saying, I am dying to who I used to be. I'm dying to a life of sin. I'm dying to that life. And when my dad raised me up out of the water, I was raised to a new life. I was raised to a new life, and that day, resurrection became part of my story. That's what happens in the baptistry. In the baptistry, we're raised to life. Look at this passage from Romans chapter 6. Did you forget that all of us became part of Christ Jesus when we were baptized? In our baptism, we shared in His death. So when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ, and we took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from, dead, uh, from death by the wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. Baptism is me sharing in the death of Jesus. It's me dying like he died. We go from being dead in our sin, and when we stand up in the baptistry, uh, we, when, we, when we stand in the baptistry and... Uh, We're buried underwater, we die, and when we come up out of the water, we take a first breath of new life. Deciding to die and symbolizing that in the baptistry is Jesus' way for us to experience resurrection. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. That's what we sang. It allows us to claim resurrection as a part of our personal history, and some of you need to do that. Some of you need to do that. You might be thinking, you know, I've never made the personal decision to be baptized, but I do have a relationship with Jesus, and that's very possible. But you might feel like your relationship with him, uh, you just seem to struggle to really follow him, to really know him, to really feel his power in your life. And maybe what's missing is death and resurrection in your life. Maybe what you need is new life, and I'm not talking about a decision that your parents made uh, for you when you were a baby. I'm talking about you making the choice, you saying, I am going to die to my sin and to my selfishness so that I can come alive in Jesus. You making that choice, and God may have brought you here today to say, I want to give you another chance. I want to give you the chance to be raised to life. I want to make that part of your personal history. I want to give you another chance when you die, when you're raised to new life with me. That might be why some of you are here. Another chance comes when we die and we're raised to life. Let's look at one more important fact. You get another chance by really living the new life. By really living the new life. Some of you here have been Christ followers for a really long time, and you've already been raised to life in baptism, and you know that you can't do it on your power, that it has to be on his power, but there still seems to be something missing in your life. I mean, you might feel pretty weak sometimes, or feel like you just aren't doing very well in your relationship with Jesus, not doing as well as you once were. Have you ever read one of those stories or heard on the news one of those stories about somebody who lives their entire life really, really poverty-stricken? I mean, they're really poor. They uh, have a hard time uh, finding clothes that aren't worn out. I mean, they are constantly uh, struggling to find money for food. They might only eat one meal a day, and they might not have any heat or maybe not even any water or electricity where they live because they're just really, really poor. And then they die, and lo and behold, people discover that they owned like millions of dollars worth of Microsoft stock. Have you heard those stories? They live like poor people all of their life, and then when they die, it's discovered that they had all this money, they had all this stock. How does that happen? Well, either they they really didn't know that they had something that was worth that much, that's one possible uh, scenario, or they didn't use it. They knew that they had it, and for some reason, they just decided to leave it filed away unused. I think sometimes Christ followers end up living weak, anemic lives because they either don't understand how much power they have, or they just have decided to leave it unused. Look at these verses from the first chapter of Ephesians. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. It is that same mighty power that that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. Did you catch it? The same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you if you've trusted Jesus. It's living in you if you've trusted Jesus for your salvation. So how much help is Jesus going to give you for that, for that problem, that struggle that you've been dealing with right now? How much help? He's going to give you just this amount, just the same amount of power that it took to take Jesus from being completely dead and making him live again. He's going to give you the same power that it takes to bring somebody back from the dead to deal with whatever problem you're dealing with right now. That's a lot of power. So why do we live powerless lives? Why don't we live more powerful lives? Well, we either don't know how much power we have available to us or we just don't use it. We just decide not to use his power i mean his power is available but we seem to want to try to do it with our own strength and our own wisdom and our own skill or we want to use his power but we aren't willing to do it his way i mean using his power involves obeying him and trusting him it involves making massive changes to how we respond to conflict, and how we deal with finances, and how we forgive, and how honest we are. Or or we just aren't committed enough. We just aren't committed enough to really plug into His power. I mean, we plug into His power by making Him a priority in our life, and making Him a priority in our life means we need to get to church and to growth group more than once a month. Or It means reading our Bible more than a couple of times a month. Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone here. I'm really not. But if you're wondering why it feels like there's no real energy in your spiritual life, it may be because you aren't really living the new life. You aren't really experiencing the new life, the powerful life that Jesus has made available to you. So today is about claiming your do-over. It's about cheating death. It's about you making resurrection a part of what you're going to do. He is giving you another chance with him. Jesus is saying to you today, don't just remember me being raised to life today. I want you to be raised to life. I want to breathe life into you. I want you to come alive today and to really live. Jesus paid the price so that you can have life. Look at these verses. In uh, 1 Peter 3, it says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. If you feel far from God today, understand that Jesus died and came back to life to bring you home, to bring you safely home to God. And because Jesus was raised to life, you can be too. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has great mercy, and because of his mercy, he gave us new life. This new life brings us a living hope through Jesus Christ's resurrection from death. I like the way that passage says it. The new life we receive when we let Jesus raise us to life brings us A living hope do you need hope today the hope that he gives is more than just a i wish it's more than just a pipe dream it's a living hope decide to make resurrection part of your history decide to trust a savior who isn't you to save you from you decide to be raised to life and then really live that new life and when you do that you will have hope that is living and vital and something that you can cling to for the rest of your life. If you want to take the step today of being raised to life by being baptized into Christ, eight other people have already done that this weekend. Eight other people. Isn't that great? But if you want to take that step after this service, we're going to uh, baptize as many people as want to do that. All you have to do is when the service ends, go over there to the end of the ramp. Lisa's going to wave. I think that's Lisa. She's over there. And somebody will meet you there, and we'll get you ready. We have clothes. We have towels. And uh, you can get ready, and I will meet you at the baptistry. And we will help you to make resurrection part of your story uh, and part of your history and uh, so if you want to do that just meet over there at the end of the ramp if you want to do it but you just don't think today works for you just write the word baptism on your connect card and place it in the uh, offering bag and we will contact you but just don't do this don't walk out of here today unchanged don't walk out of here today the same decide to experience his life to experience his power this is for you Easter is for you. Jesus did this to give you life, to give you another chance. He's calling your name. He's saying, come out of that grave. Your situation isn't hopeless. You aren't trapped. You can be forgiven. You can come alive. You can really live. That's Jesus' message for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people in this room who need to come alive in you some father need to return to a place in their relationship with you where you are living and active where their hope is alive and so father would you cause them to run to you right now father there are others here that you want resurrection to be part of their history and so father would you just give them the courage to choose you today to die to who they used to be so that they can live the new life that you have for them. And Father, thank you so much that when we were dead in our sin, you sent Jesus to die and then to conquer death so that we could experience life, so that being raised to life can be part of our story too. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.